to the seniors, um, Byron sends his apologies. He really, really wanted to be here and, and uh, to get to share some time with you guys today and uh, last night as well. But um, we, we just hope that uh, he is better soon. Okay. Um, last night at the senior dinner, uh, Daryl was talking to the kids, and um, he used a word uh, several times describing the next chapter in their lives. And, and the word that, that he kept coming back to was the word transition. Uh, and, and I'll tell you the truth, I, I try real hard not to listen to Daryl most of the time. Um, but I messed up last night and I paid attention. Um, because I had planned to, to speak about something a little different this morning. Uh, but about 3.45 this morning, I woke up and, and God said, No, I, w- I want us to talk about transition. I want us to talk about uh, the next uh, road on the journey. So that's what we're going to do today. If you've got your Bibles, look with me in the Old Testament book of, of Jeremiah. And I want to read some, some scripture that you're very familiar with. Jeremiah chapter 29. And uh, we'll begin reading um, If you, if you found your place, there, Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning in about four, verse 4, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which i've carried you into exile pray to the lord for it because if it prospers you too will prosper yes this is what the lord almighty the god of israel says do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have they are prophesying lies to you in my name i have not sent them declares the lord But this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And verse 11 is the one we know so well. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And if we can go back and look at the end of verse 6 where Jeremiah says, Increase. And do not decrease. I believe that God tells us that in a time of transition, when we enter into something for the first time, we have to be careful and we have to be deliberate to be on the increase and not decrease. You see, that's the situation that we read about uh, here, here in Jeremiah. God has has used Jeremiah to tell uh, the nation of Israel that you're going to be someplace that's not going to be completely comfortable for 70 years. 
this is where, what's going to happen to you. This is, this is where you're going to be, and this is how I want you to respond while you're there. Now, graduates, speaking for your parents, it is our prayer this morning that your college experience does not take 70 years. Okay? Um, we, just, we just don't have the means for that. But there will be times when it feels that way. You see, our natural tendency, I don't care what we're talking about. If we're talking about a new place to go to school or a new place to work or, or anything that we're experiencing for the first time, our natural human tendency is to just wait it out, to just let it hurry and get over with, to kind of pull the covers over our head and let the storm go by and then resume our normal activity. But God says that's the worst thing we can possibly do. When we find, our place, we find ourselves in some place new and in some place different, we have to get busy. It's then that we have to turn on the jets and we have to go to work. God says, I want you to increase during a time of transition, not decrease. I don't want you to wait it out because I've not allowed this time to come just to fill up space on a calendar. I've got something that I want to accomplish through you during this new period in your life. And in order for that to happen, there's some things you're going to have to do. You can't just sit there and let time go by. God says, increase and don't decrease. There's three areas that I want to talk to us quickly about this morning that I believe that God would have us be on the increase anytime we find ourselves in a time of transition. The first one is this. We've got to increase our operations. Increase our operations. Look at the text again. In verse 5, Jeremiah says to the people, Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters and give sons and daughters to your wives and their children so that they may increase and not decrease. God says when we're in a time of transition, we've got to go to work. We've got to go to work. We've got to increase the activity. So you guys that are going off for this new adventure in your life, wherever that may be, whether it's down the road to Angelina College or to College Station or uh, to uh, Brenham or, or Texarkana or wherever the case may be this morning, God says, when you get there, I want you to roll up your sleeves and I want you to go to work. You say, well, what kind of work are you talking about? It's the operations that God seems to be keenly interested in this morning. When you find yourself for the first time away from home and mom's not there and dad's not there and you get to call the shots that's going to be so cool for about five minutes and then you're going to go now what do I do Well, God's telling the people here, I want you to revert back to what you've known to do, to what's been taught to you throughout the earlier stages of your lives. Because when, when the nation of Israel was 
not in captivity, they were productive. They built houses. They planted gardens. They had crops. They had livestock. They did things that sustained their, their way of life. And God says, do what you know to be the right thing to do. Do what's worked. So here's homework assignment number one. When you get where you're going, the first thing you must find is a place to be every Sunday morning. Don't wait and assume that that's going to happen. Because you've taken care of all the other details, right? You've got a dorm. You've got a degree plan. You've got a meal ticket. Um, you've got the little tiny refrigerator to go in your room. You've got the things that your mom's sending with you that you hope nobody else ever sees. Okay? You've taken care of all of those details and you're ready to go. You, you're, you're probably going to go through some kind of orientation at your school and they're going to tell you where this class is located and where the library is and uh, where the student center is and all those kinds of things that you need to know. Don't skimp on the most important building. Make it a priority before school starts that while you're at school, such and such Baptist church will be your home church. Get there. Get involved. Roll up your sleeves. The fact that you don't know anybody is not important. In fact, sometimes that can be a good thing. Approach church exactly like you will approach school. Make all the plans and all the preparations by making it a priority. If you read your Bible daily, students, you need to ramp that up. When you get to school, um, you're going to hear professors and counselors tell you that for every hour in which you're enrolled, you need to plan to study three hours. Well, if you read your Bible once a day now, I'm just telling you from experience that's not going to be enough. You need to plan to turn that up. If you pray once a day now, okay, you need to, you need to really turn that up. You need to increase your operations in your Christian walk and your Christian faith as you go out on your own. Second thing is this. We've got to increase our innovation. Increase our innovation. I want you to notice something that Jeremiah says to these people. Look, look at verse 7 again. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you to exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. It just seems weird to me. God, what you're telling me is that you want me to pray for these people that are holding me hostage. You want me to make these people that are my captors, you want me to make them prosperous. 
God, that just seems weird. That just that doesn't seem right. Well, you got to think outside the box. But see, because God knew what was going to happen in 70 years. And he knew that any peace and any prosperity and any good thing that would happen in Babylon would one day come back to the Hebrews and that they would be the beneficiaries of that. But they had to do things differently. Y'all heard this before. What's the definition of insanity? To do something the same way over and over again and expect a different result? You've got to do something different. Let me, just, let me just give you some food for thought, okay? I don't care how cold you get. Never wear your high school letter jacket on your college campus. Okay? Do not do that. Do not do that. All right? That is a good way to get beat up. Never, ever, ever wear your commencement cap and gown out in public again after this Friday night. You talk about a dress you'll only wear one time. That's that thing, okay? If you wear that out in public, they come take you off, okay? And, you know, put you in a, in a, in a nice, comfortable place. you got to do things differently than you've done before. You see, guys, I have good news and I have bad, bad news this morning. The good news is that high school's over. And the bad news is high school's over. Because high school is a world all of its own. It's a little microcosm that, that, that you guys go to up on Gibson Street every day. It's a self-sustaining little biome. Okay? It's got its own ecosystem. And you thrive and you grow in that ecosystem and before you know it you you think that's all there is the problem is there's another one of those little ecosystems in Zavala and in Woden and in Lufkin and in Dival and all over the, the country there are these little pseudo worlds called high school and if nobody's told you, let me break the news to you this morning, okay? Absolutely nothing in high school is real. Nothing. You, and I, I saw you guys up here, okay? You have all of these accomplishments and all of these awards and all of these accolades and you will go out into the real world in the fall and no one will care. I'll never forget my first day as a college freshman. I walked into this room and I said, Hi, I'm Cody Morey. And no one said anything. They didn't care. Because there were a thousand others just like me who thought that they were the king of their own little biome that they had come from. What you did to be successful to this point in your life has got to evolve. It's got to change. You've got to do some things differently. 
one of the first things that you've got to do is to realize that the rest of your life is not for you. It's what you can do for someone else. Whatever you're going to go study, whatever you plan to major in, it's got to pass the test. Is this something that I really think God can use to allow me to be of service to somebody else? Don't ask all the other questions, all, all the standard questions. Is it going to make me happy? Is it going to make me money? Those details he'll take care of. Be innovative and think outside the box and make sure that your life direction is one in which God truly takes you and uses you to make a difference in somebody else's life. That's what our world so desperately needs today. There's people who are not in it for themselves. Change. We've got to increase our innovation. We've got to do things differently than maybe we've done before. Last thing is this. We must increase our expectations. Increase our expectations. Sounds good, but what's it really mean? I think the people who really have that rare opportunity to experience God are people who are not afraid to think big and dream big and have these exquisite out-of-the-world expectations. People that are not worried about coloring inside the lines. People that really don't put any limits or any boundaries on who God really is and what God really wants to do in their life. There's a, there's a couple, of, I mean, there's a lot of examples in Scripture, but two I want to talk to you about real quickly. The first one was of a, of a young lady who was very, very ill, Scripture tells us. She had been sick for a long, long time. And she had the kind of sickness that doctors today would describe as chronic, something that just doesn't go away. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily kill you, but it just makes your life miserable. She was always in, in pain, always in discomfort, very, very weak. And she'd been that way for over 12 years. The story says that one day Jesus and his disciples were in her town. And they're walking along, doing what they do. And there's crowds of people by this point in the life of Jesus. He was, he was famous. He was um, renowned. And people were trying to get to him. And um, there's just a, just a lot of people. It's almost a mob scene. But this lady who had been ill for a long, long time, probably been to every doctor and taken every piece of advice that somebody could offer her and still no relief, she thought, man, if I could just get to him. 
if I could just go and, and talk to him, if he could just, I've heard that he, he puts his hands on people and, and all of a sudden they can see. I've heard that he touches people and, and those that were um, lame and crippled for life, they get up and walk. Man, if I could just get to him, I could be well. But she didn't make it. The crowd was so bad, she couldn't get to Jesus. As he walked by, evidently, she stuck her arm out as far as it would go, and she touched his clothing. And when that happened, two things immediately transpired. The first one was that lady who had been so sick so long, was miraculously well in an instant. But the second thing is in the middle of all that he was doing, it caused Jesus to stop and ask his disciples, who touched me? I feel sorry for the disciples in that story. I really do. Um, because, of the, you know, they're, they're walking through this mob of people, and Jesus is a rock star, you know? And he says, who touched me? And they're going, Lord, who didn't touch you? There's no way to know. Everybody has touched you. And Jesus said, no, there's something different. I could literally feel the power leave my body. When this woman touched me, when this person touched me, something was different. So, guys, my question to us is this morning, what was different about that scene? Well, it wasn't Jesus, right? The Bible tells us Jesus is always the same. As we've said, there were hundreds of people touching him and grabbing him as he walked through there. What was different that caused him to stop, that made his holy body actually have a physical experience. What was different? I think it had to be the expectations of the lady. You see, she knew if she could just get to him, she would be well. She had that kind of faith. She had that kind of expectation. We have, to, we have to have those kinds of expectations in order to see Jesus really be Jesus. Thousands of other people encountered him as he would travel along. We don't have stories about a change in their life. But we have a story in the Bible recorded for us about this young lady who because of her expectations got to encounter Jesus. See, I've heard it said that the difference between a good golfer and a great golfer is all a matter of expectations. That a good golfer is somebody who um, practices all the time, buys the best equipment, takes lessons from the best pros, gets out on the course, lines up the shot, and hopes with all of his heart 
but the putt goes in the hole. A great golfer does exactly the same thing. But when he hits the ball, if for some reason it does not go in, he is totally and utterly surprised. He expects it to go in every time. That's the kind of golfer I am. I expect it to go in every time I hit it. Now that little windmill keeps getting in my way, but I expect it to go in. I believe the thief on the cross was a man of high expectations. He was a man of very poor character or he wouldn't have been there. Roman crucifixion was reserved for the vilest criminal that the government wanted to make public examples out of. We don't know exactly what he had done, but it was bad. But he was a man of high expectations, and, I, and we know that he's a man of high expectations simply by his vocabulary. Because you remember what, what happened when Jesus hung on the cross. There were two thieves. And one kept saying to Jesus, If, if you're really who you say you are, why don't you get us out of this? If you're really the Son of God, why don't you come down off of that cross? If you're really the Messiah, why don't you save us in the middle of all of this? If, if, if. But the other thief, he simply said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The word has a whole different meaning. You see, if is a question. If um, denotes doubt. But when, that's positive. That's proactive. That says it's only a matter of time. And the thief said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? He said, well, well, we'll see about it. We'll hold a meeting. We'll form a committee. No, he didn't say that. Jesus said, today you will be with me. Today. Because you had the expectation to say when rather than if. You're going to get to see me today. You're going to get to experience me today. That's what we want for you as you go into this next phase of your life. We want you to be a young man and a young lady with such expectations and such a, a powerful faith in Jesus Christ that you're always talking about him in the proactive tense. If we want to see God be God, we've got to quit saying if. And we have to start saying when. Increase your expectations. We want to leave you 
with these words as your church family, as your parents and, and friends. Psalmist David wrote in Psalm 20, May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victories and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. But now I know this. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. This is Chandler's life verse. Verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. More than anything else, that's what we want for you today, is that you'll truly live a life where you trust in the name of Almighty God, not in the education you're going to acquire, not in the, in the employment that you're going to have, not even in the relationships that you'll build in this earth, but you'll trust in the name. What is that name? It's okay to say it. In fact, if there's one thing that I, I could wish for you this morning, it would be that you would exercise the unbelievable privilege of being on a first-name basis with Almighty God. There's no one else of any power or, or any prominence in this world that we have that opportunity with. We refer to leaders by their titles, but we, because of his blood on Calvary, get to call God by his first name. When we simply say Jesus, then all the power and privilege and promise that is within that name is ours. And you know what's even cooler than that? He calls me by my name. Think of the, the billions of people in this world that have lived and died and done great things. But when I call on the name of Jesus... He literally says, how can I help you, Cody? And that's what he wants to do for you graduates. How can I help you, Nathaniel? How can I help you, Cody? Be on a first-name basis with Almighty God.
and watch him do things with your life that you cannot imagine. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask Shane to come and lead us in the time of commitment. Brother Darrell's going to be at the front. We invite you to respond this morning. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful today for every expression of your love and thankful, Father, that um, we've had the privilege as a church family of watching our, our young people grow and come to this point in their life, Father. And God, our prayer is this morning that as cliche as it may sound, that they realize that this truly is just a, a beginning point for them in their journey with you. And that God, like never before, they would dedicate themselves to the work of the kingdom and service of, of Almighty God. Father, we pray that uh, the Holy Spirit would be an ever and constant guide and comfort to them. Lead them, Father, in, in the path that you have uniquely carved out for each and every one of them. We thank you and we give you back this time. We pray.